Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to Cannaboom. Have you ever heard of nutrigenomics? I had not until I spoke with David Krantz, our guest for this episode. Nutrigenomics is the study of the interaction of nutrition and genes, especially in regard to the prevention or treatment of disease. And David comes at it from the cannabis perspective, which is very interesting. I mean, have you ever gotten high with a friend and then wondered how they could still function at a high level while you're locked to the couch? It might be that you are metabolizing THC at different rates, that your liver is breaking it down a little more slowly because that's the genetic blueprint that you have for your interactions with this plant. We're all different in how our bodies react with cannabis, and David and I get into this and, and much more about what this means for the future of how people will consume cannabis for everyday wellness. This podcast, my website, cannaboomwithak.com, and my weekly newsletter, Five Boom Friday, are all focused on how cannabis and CBD can help you achieve better wellness and how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your other favorite podcast player. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review and help us expand our reach. And here now is David Krantz. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Today we have David Krantz. How are you, David? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And where are you today? I am in Asheville, North Carolina, up in the mountains here. I hear Asheville is uh, pretty civilized. You have a craft brew scene there and stuff. <laughs> we have a very large craft brew scene. I, I actually <laughs> think it's out of proportion to the uh, the the size of the city, but you know it does well for tourism. So that's fun. We're here to talk about your training and your expertise in, in genetics and the endocannabinoid system. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in nutrigenomics, which is the study of how different genetic variants create different responses to food and nutrients and vitamins and all that. And a couple of years ago, I started looking into the research around cannabis, and I realized there was actually a lot of research around how different genetic variants influence people's response to cannabis and different cannabinoids. And there just wasn't a lot of information available out there for people you know, for practitioners, for cannabis users about how this information applies to them. So I started developing content and articles and actually a genetic test that I developed with a genomics company that can help people understand how this affects them and how they can optimize their cannabis use. And so I've developed a training course for practitioners. You know, it's geared for practitioners, but anyone who's an enthusiast or an activist that really wants to be on the cutting edge would be a, it'd be a great fit for them. And I've developed this course that shows you how to use genetics to better understand your response or your client's response to cannabis. That sounds super interesting because I've had a, a few doctors and chemists and a pharmacist on the show, and we've all talked about the complexity of our own genetics and then the complexity of the plant. And wouldn't it be great if we could match those two up? So it sounds like you're beginning to make progress on that. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's not a perfect science. Like you can't take a genetic test and have it tell you exactly what strain and exactly what dosage will be perfect for your body, but it can give you some good guidance around certain dynamics, you know, whether you're likely to say be more or less sensitive to THC or more or less sensitive to CBD. 
or say respond in a cognitive way that's more beneficial to THC or if you're more likely to kind of fit that classic stoner stereotype of, you know, kind of having a, a poor memory after smoking, that type of thing. Uh, there's some there's some pretty strong correlations that you can unearth through this information. And yeah, I'm kind of on a mission to spread this into the cannabis world because I think it would benefit a lot of people. And people that I've done genetic reads for, their feedback is generally, wow, I, I just understand how I relate to cannabis better. I'm able to modify and, and modulate my usage and relationship to the plant in a way that feels healthier and, and feels more grounded in the way that my biology is wired. What we end up talking about often is, well, it's a test and learn scenario. You have to try an mm -hmm. indica and see how you react. Try a sativa and see how you react. But any head start you could get on that understanding, I think, would be helpful. I looked at some of the content you have online, and metabolism seems to be a big part of this. Are you a fast metabolizer or are you a slow metabolizer? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, that's a great place to start. And that's one of the more established areas where a genetic testing can really tell you about how you're likely to respond, especially to THC, in that you have these liver enzymes that break down THC. And everyone has different genetic variants that can influence, say, how much of those enzymes you produce. And certain people make less of them. And that means that they break down THC a lot slower and a lot less efficiently. So that means they have THC build up in their system a bit more. And those are going to be the people that are really, really sensitive to edibles, especially. Because when you think about the route of ingestion, eating it or taking a tincture is going to be absorbed into your bloodstream and then goes through your liver before it gets to your brain, whereas inhaling uh, THC goes straight, you know, more directly to the brain. So these enzymes have more of a chance to work on things that are ingested. And, you know, people that are really sensitive to edibles are generally slower metabolizers. And you can use a genetic test to start to uh, understand this. So, it's a great way, you know, if you're just getting into cannabis, especially for you to screen yourself and say, yeah, I should definitely be careful with edibles. I should start with a lower dose. I should know that my body is, you know, going to be more sensitive to this. And then kind of on the flip side, if you're someone who's a faster metabolizer and you're doing lower doses, you might want to actually increase your dose. So, you know, knowing this information can just give you a better understanding of, your experience and what to expect. As we know, THC is one of at least 113, maybe 120 cannabinoids. Do you go and find data on how we metabolize against all of those cannabinoids, or are we just looking at mainly THC and, and possibly CBD? Right now, we're just looking at THC and CBD. The, um, the research really hasn't been done yet in a clear way on other things like CBG or CBC, uh, that hopefully is coming in the future. But right now, the data that we have that's usable is on THC and CBD. And then does this take into account terpenes at all? It can take into account terpenes in terms of certain effects. Um, th there are not any genetic studies directly on terpenes right now. What there are, you know, for example, in terms of looking at studies that might help you understand, say, cognitive response, short-term memory deficits when you're using THC. Some people are more prone to that. 
for people that are more prone, it might be useful to utilize certain terpenes to help offset those effects, right? So we we know that genetically, some people are more prone to short-term memory, and we know that certain terpenes can help offset some of the effects on acetylcholine in the brain with THC. So we can kind of match things up that way, if that makes sense. It's not that there's direct genetic studies on terpenes, but we can make uh, correlations and assumptions about people's response based on some of the factors that we're looking at. Sure. You're going to take some of the genetic information you have and then borrow information from other disciplines that might help you in targeting this individual in a, in a way that would be safe and efficacious for them, I guess. Right, exactly. And you know, a lot of terpene recommendations and profiles are going to be based more on symptoms that are presenting or certain goals, you know, whether your goal is to relax or to be more focused. And that doesn't change so much with the genetics. Uh, ideally, in the future, we could have a test that predicts that stuff perfectly, but still it can give you some indications, say, you know, if some people are more prone to paranoia or anxiety with THC. You can look at that from a genetic perspective and look at terpenes like beta carophylline as a way to help mitigate that. So you can pair certain terpenes with features and traits that show up in the genetics in a way that's pretty helpful for people. I'm probably going to overgeneralize this, but in genetics itself, I mean, there's sort of the nature nurture argument and what elements that are manifest are due to your destiny or due to the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly with cannabis, people are aware of set and setting, definitely can affect your experience. Do you consider that at all? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, I don't want to come across as a genetic essentialist. I'm probably as far away from that as you can get for someone who's in the field of genetics and nutrigenomics. I really see it just as a, a spoke on the on the wheel, right? Just a piece of all the other factors. And of course, set and setting are huge. Uh, set and setting, if you're um, you know, not in the right mindset, you're doing, you're using cannabis in a space that is overwhelming, that's going to trump genetics you know, in a lot of cases. Um, but then there are other cases where genetics might kind of trump that set and setting for other people. And you know, I, I think that we've really got to kind of look at the whole picture. And the area that I want to bring in, you know, is this sort of innate biological response that for some people might be more extreme and for other people might be more responsive to the environment. And, you know, that's what the most current understanding of genetics in general really is emphasizing is that it's the combination of environment and genetics. Genetics on their own don't give you that great of a predictive power, but when you can understand the environment and those factors in combination with the genetics, it gets really powerful. And certain genes, what they really do functionally in a lot of ways is make you more sensitive to certain environmental inputs. So for example, you know, certain genes are going to make you more sensitive to, to THC or influence that sensitivity. Um, and knowing those kind of factors can allow you to match yourself up with the right environment and, you know, match yourself, say up with being more sensitive or more conscientious of set and setting or strain or method of ingestion and seeing how all those pieces kind of fit together. You may have a, a predilection for a certain cultivar strain and producing a certain result, but there's other factors besides besides your genes, I'm hearing you say. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I don't want to make it seem like this is the only factor, but if you're someone that wants a little bit more objective understanding to tie into your subjective experience, it can connect the dots really well for people that um, you know understand their response to certain strains and their experiences, say with edibles or inhaled cannabis. It 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 gives more of a a platform and structure to fit your experience and, and your understanding of your body into, which can lead to some cool outcomes. Sure. From a consumer perspective, how can I approach this in a smart way? Do I have to really educate myself on genetics? Am I going to be looking at a, at a spreadsheet or, or, or what sort of uh, process would be involved in me looking at my genetics around cannabis? Yeah. So this is part of what I've been developing with Apiron Genomics over the past couple of years is a easy to read report that takes all of the need for you know, really understanding genetics deeply out of the equation. Um, what we do is we actually train practitioners um, like myself and other, other coaches and doctors to interpret these reports and make it so that it's you know, easily deliverable to someone who just wants to know about their genetics. And so what we do is we pair um, the genetics with a practitioner with the, you know, consumer end, and then you can have someone to really go over this and talk to, which talk to about, you know, your genetics and experience, which is different than some other tests on the market where you just get sent a PDF and then you're expected to really understand it. Um, there's a big barrier to entry with knowing how to use this stuff well and and turn it into something that's useful and actionable. So we're, we're very conscientious about making sure that, you know, you have someone to talk to about it and you have something that you can refer back to and, um, you know, have a report that, you know, you also have as a PDF, but you have someone that's kind of supporting you in your understanding of it as well. Brings to mind some of the marketing uh, we've all seen from vape pens or, or edibles where there's attributes assigned to a certain product, they might be called party or sleep or mm -hmm. arouse or relax, but those are all going to be variable. Yeah. I mean, they're good guesses. They're, they're good. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'd say for probably a majority of people, they're going to be somewhat accurate, but then you get the outliers. And that's actually what I'm very interested in is outliers that don't fit in the box. And that's really where nutrigenomics works really well is for people that say, hey, I've, I've tried this and I, I didn't understand why I reacted in this way. Well, when you start looking at the genetics, it can you know connect those dots and make sense of those experiences. So for say someone that you know, uses an indica and is like wired or someone that takes a sativa and they want to go to sleep, that kind of reaction is really interesting to look at, okay, where where in the endocannabinoid system might there be, you know, maybe a series of, of more rare variants that might contribute to that. Uh, and like I said, there's not clear data on genetics and terpenes, but it does give you something to start looking at and saying, hey, you know, I, I can start to connect these dots here for myself. Some people are biphasic, right? It, it may affect them in a, in a way that's absolutely different from the majority. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And by biphasic also in the sense that, you know, lower doses are going to sometimes affect people very differently than higher doses. And you might see radically different responses, especially around, um, you know, kind of subjective cognitive response. Like, is this, am I having a good time or is this starting to get overwhelming, you know, with that? And 
understanding, you know, your metabolism. There's certain variants also in the dopamine system that are known to influence that sense of overwhelm or anxiety. Uh, and so, you know, knowing those, you can get a better understanding of how you want to titrate your dosage for some of those cognitive uh, impacts. And then we also all know people who are exceedingly functional at high levels, even though yeah. if we tried, we'd be stoned. Do they have some special enzyme or, or, or a genetic makeup that just allows them to, are they metabolizing fast or, or what's happening there? You know, it, it's a combination of things. And that's one thing to, to take into account with genetics is that you really can't just isolate it and say, hey, there's one gene for this and one gene for that. And that's you know, really why we do the practitioner training is to educate people on how to see genetics as a, as a system, as a complex interaction between these different factors. And so for people that are highly functional, uh, which definitely see that as an archetype, right? You see people that work really well with cannabis and are the exact opposite of the kind of stereotypical stoner archetype thing. And with those people, there you know there's about eight or nine different really strong cognitive function variants that can help predict whether you're going to be someone that has good short-term memory while you're on THC have good uh reaction time kind of control over impulse impulses and there's a bunch of different cognitive domains that have been studied and genetics identified related to them and so what you see with people like that tends to be all of those variants together are on the protective side, right? Like, because most people are going to have a combination of some where, yeah, these are protective, these might be less protective, you might be more prone to some short-term memory loss or say slower reaction time, but you've also got these that are protective over here. Um, you know, you, you do have those people on the ends where someone is extremely low functioning on one side, they've got kind of the eight or nine out of, you know, Eight or eight or eight variants out of nine variants, or nine variants out of nine variants that are going to predispose them to less functionality with THC. And then you've got the ones on the other side where maybe they have all nine, which I've I've seen before. I've done reads for people, and sure enough, they report like, "Yeah, I'm super functional with cannabis." I've done some reads for cannabis entrepreneurs where you know this is their life, and most of the time, those people tend to have pretty functional variants. So. You can see how there's this divergence in response that I think it's it's helpful to look at this from a lens of what I call bioempathy or the ability to get out of your own innate biological response to something and put yourself in someone else's shoes and allow for that response to be real and, and valid and different than your own, which is you know something that's kind of hard to do. It's not an innate, natural thing to be able to just like really accept and understand like, oh, this person is going to re react totally differently than me to this same thing. We kind of just have this bias where we expect people to respond similarly. So that's one of the areas where I feel like genetics really opens up the opportunity to look at this range of possible responses and gives people a greater path to bioempathy and yeah makes sense of the people out there that really do function well with cannabis some people are more quote unquote intoxicated than others which when you get to law enforcement i think they're still trying to figure out a way to 
measure people driving under the influence of cannabis. And I don't know that, you know, it stores itself in the fat, right? So you may have smoked a joint a week ago and it's still going to turn up on a blood test. But the other factor that, that you just laid out is it's going to affect different people in different ways. And someone might be absolutely functional with a good amount of THC in them. Yeah, I think so. And and the other interesting thing there that you mentioned about the THC metabolite that's stored in the fat is that that is also influenced radically by someone's C, uh, it's called the CYP2C9 gene, CYP2C9 enzyme that that breaks down THC where it seems kind of backwards, but people that don't break down THC as well and are more sensitive to it actually create less of that metabolite that gets looked at on on drug tests. So people that are slow metabolizers actually might have the benefit of not having as much of a risk of, of failing a drug test, which I mean, drug tests are, you know, are... I, I don't even want to go into my thoughts on drug tests, but, um, but you know, it's an interesting uh, feature where or we're talking like four to five times less the amount of that metabolite for for true slow metabolizers than people that are faster. So you see a lot of different idiosyncrasies with this and the way that people store and process THC. You know, I had a guy on a couple of weeks ago, Michael Stratton, who wrote a book called The Little Green Book, A Guide to Breaking Up with Marijuana. And mm -hmm. he was saying that as a therapist, he's aware that about 9% of the population is going to be, quote unquote, addicted. And, you know, we talked about that. I don't know if it's a physiological state or more of a psychological state. But is there anything in an individual's genetic makeup that might tell you that this person could have an issue with wanting to smoke all the time? Yes, there actually are some decent variants that have been identified. And again, there's maybe four or five different ones that seem to have an impact on someone's propensity for what's considered cannabis use disorder or you mm -hmm. know cannabis dependence. And you know, I think it's kind of useful just to be able to look at that and say, hey, this is something I need to be aware of. If I have other risk factors for addiction, whether that's trauma or poor coping skills, um, you know, all kinds of different factors are there, then, you know, you want to be aware of, of what your relationship to cannabis is like. And I'll tell you, I, I'm someone, and I'll, I'll self-disclose here, I, I'm someone who I think probably would have qualified as having a cannabis use disorder when I was younger. And through a lot of therapy, through a lot of my own work, unearthing, you know, deep hurt that I was suppressing and covering up with cannabis, you know, I've really changed my relationship to it over the years. I, I don't use it every single day, multiple times a day, like I, I did for, for a while before I was able to psychologically process and handle the emotions that I was using THC to kind of compensate for. And you know, I think it, it's both that psychological and physiological components that combine together. And the separation between those things is, is often razor thin, where the ability to use a substance to get some type of, you know, some type of high or, or you know, THC has a strong dopamine releasing effect in areas of the brain that are going to contribute to that reinforcement pattern of, oh, this feels good. Oh, I don't have to like deal with that feeling of, of 
feeling crappy um, that will you know rewire the brain in, in certain ways to reinforce that behavior and then that behavior reinforces the thought patterns and the emotions and the, the psychology um, and you know you can look at it from both perspectives where hey this is a physiological thing this is a, a psychological thing and, and kind of you know, get at it from both sides. But I do think that, you know, looking at the genetics is going to be a good way to help you understand um, kind of what the propensities are. And if you're someone that is trying to change your relationship with cannabis, it's it's profoundly useful. Because, um, you know, in general, I'm, I'm pro-cannabis, I'm pro-legalization, I'm pro-access. But I, I like that you brought that up because I, I do think it's an important conversation to have around, you know, how do we really honor this plant in a way that we use it in a way that allows us to be our you know full selves and not rely on it as a crutch for something that would be you know more advantageous in the long run to really deal with head on. That's a, a great way to put it. And sharing your experience about that and coming through the the process of being a heavy user yourself, and then sort of stepping back and looking at at this from a more scientific, objective perspective is is really valuable. I think you bring a lot of insight to this. Again, back to the marketing, I'm certainly a believer in the medicinal power of cannabis for all sorts of conditions and, and maladies, but also, as you've noted, sort of a, a way to uplift yourself or to help yourself relax and go to sleep or whatever. When people are looking for products, it's good to know your genetics. If you don't have that, just looking at strain, do you think that helps when you're shopping for something? Oh sure. I mean, I think I think straight, knowing strains, knowing what the composition is, is super helpful. I'm trying to get away from talking about things at strains when I can, and really talking about okay, what's the the combination of terpenes and cannabinoids in this thing? Uh, just because strains can be so variable, and there's so little control from plant to plant, just the nature of it being a plant and how these things express differently. So you know, you could you could get one strain on the East Coast and get the same strain on the West Coast, and it'd be a totally different chemovar, totally different phenotype of that plant. And you know, I, I think it's useful, but I think it's most useful when you can have a a real certificate of analysis rather than relying on what the the strain name is. I think set and setting are going to come into it. Your own genetics, your own health, the status of your health at the time. The method of ingestion, are you are you taking an edible? Are you vaping? Are you smoking? As well as the titration, how big of a dose are you taking? And then, of course, the quality of the product, which is going to vary even on the same plant. The same plant is going to have differences that all come into play when you're going to use this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you really nailed it there with looking at all of those factors, you know, set setting, genetics, epigenetics, or your, your current health status, what's going on for you? Or are, are you, you know, are you generally healthy? Is there a disease process going on? And then that being combined with strain, you know, method of ingestion and dose and quality of product, like that's, that's the, the circle of life in cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the, the network of effects and network of, of things that influence um, kind of the outcome for people. 
And, you know, that, that can change from session to session, from year to year. And knowing the genetics is one of the things that is a little bit more stable, right? It's this kind of underlying thing that even if your health status changes or your set and setting changes, you are probably still going to be a slow metabolizer if you're a slow metabolizer. So it's something that actually can provide some sense of stability within that larger picture, I think. You know, I had a guest who was a chemist who kind of mused about the day when we have an endocannabinologist, and it was the first time I had heard that term, someone at a dispensary or a pharmacy who has a, a real understanding of the endocannabinoid system. And some of that is what you're talking about, the genetic predispositions you have. We're still learning a lot about how our bodies have endogenous cannabinoids and how we supplement them with phytocannabinoids. Do you see that kind of medical specialty coming along anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, that's one of the things we're really hoping to contribute to with this course is creating a better scientific basis for that type of personalized care and educating people on exactly, as you said, what the endocannabinoid system does and how people's individual genetic makeup can change some of those dynamics. So for example, there's a gene called FAAH, that uh, stands for fatty acid amide hydrolase. And this is a enzyme in the body that breaks down one of the main endocannabinoids that your body creates called anandamide. And anandamide has been known to influence all kinds of things from being skinny versus being obese to being depressed versus being anxious. You know, you generally want to have pretty balanced levels of it. And this enzyme, what it's what it does is it breaks down anandamide and certain people produce more or less of this enzyme. And if you have more of this enzyme, you tend to carry lower levels of anandamide. And vice versa, if you have a genetic variant that tends to create uh, lower levels of FAAH, this enzyme, you tend to carry higher levels of anandamide. And neither one is purely good or bad or positive or negative. There's just different traits and health impacts associated with kind of either direction. And so knowing that, and knowing the genetics on that can help you understand, am I someone that carries naturally higher or lower endocannabinoid levels in general, right? And so that's, I think, a lot some of the information that an endocannabinologist would really want to know when you're standing across on someone in a dispensary or you're standing in, you know, someone with the, in the room with someone at your clinic, you know, it just gives a sense of information about, you know, do I choose a higher THC formulation, maybe a higher CBD formulation, maybe other cannabinoids that I, you know, hope to see more scientific, and I'm sure we will see more scientifically validated information on on how to really coordinate that. But it's uh, it's one of those things that just gives you a better understanding of those dynamics and allows us to start being more precise with the way we're thinking about, okay, what is a high anandamide phenotype, someone that carries higher levels of that, what does it look like when they respond this way to a high THC product versus someone who responds well to a low THC product? So you just you start adding it in as another data point, which makes the ability to talk about this and be more precise with recommendations that much richer. 
Well, there's also just opening the jar and sniffing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the old school way to, to know if, uh, if it's going to work for you. The more you know, the better. And, you know, if we have that kind of knowledge, it would certainly seem to be a boon to anybody who, who wants to really optimize their exposure to this plant. But I just wonder how long it's going to take. I mean, as far as I know, medical schools are not even teaching about the endocannabinoid system yet, or a very small percentage of them are. Do you, do you have any insight into the time frame for this becoming more widespread? You know, I really don't from a mainstream medical model perspective. From a a wellness perspective and people that are interested in doing further education and you know getting this stuff out there regardless of if it's being taught in medical school curriculums i think that we're going to see this information filter out a lot faster not in the mainstream in the in the same way that cannabis has proliferated you know on its own from people who understand the power of it and understand what its potential is i think we're going to see this type of information be spread and used in similar streams and similar routes of dissemination. I mean, that's partly why I made this course. You know, there's there's not any practitioner grade information and trainings out there right now on this. So I really, you know, wanted to fill the gap and and create something that could allow this information to start to be used faster and um, more readily for for people that are really you know, you're passionate about providing the best type of care, uh, having the best information for their patients or clients. Is that who you're aiming at? Mainly you have, you have a, a course for practitioners? Mm -hmm. Predominantly for practitioners. And then anyone who's listening, that's not a practitioner and just wants to know their genetics. Um, you know, that's what the, the test is more aimed at is, is, you know, people that are users, people that are, um, interested in cannabis, getting into it, whatever their relationship is to it. But the uh, the training course is more for practitioners that would want to interpret this type of testing and use it in their practice. Would someone need like their 23andMe results or what uh, sort of data do you examine? Yeah. So 23andMe can be used depending on what version it is. Not very well known, but 23andMe changes their data set over time. So uh, depending on what version of 23andMe have, people have, we, we, can, we can use that. Uh, but we also have our own custom test that we run through a private lab and we do it that way because we can control exactly which genetic variants we get to look at. And we can also control the privacy and data ownership, which I don't know if you followed much about the 23andMe business model, but a lot of what they do is harvest user data and sell it to pharmaceutical companies. So we just take that out of the equation and you own your data, you own the privacy rights, and the lab that we work with never even has access to your personal information. We just use an identifier number to transfer the information. So we're very careful about that, and that allows us to do the testing in, I think, the most ethical and transparent way possible. You're collecting a vial of spit and, and analyzing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's a cheek swab, so it collects buccal cells from the side of the cheek. So it's actually easier than having to well up a bunch of spit and yeah. fill up a fill up a thing. Other companies doing this, um, or how far out ahead are you? Yeah, there, there's a few other companies that have tested on the market. I have created one that I feel is a bit more transparent about the way we're interpreting the data. Um, 
I'm, I don't want to name names or, or go down this rabbit hole too far, but there are some companies out there that are claiming to really be able to um, predict strains for people. And I think that at best, it's a very large jump to conclusions. And at worst, it's kind of charlatanism and just a way to way to enter the market with a cash grab because who wouldn't want a test that perfectly can predict what strain uh, you want, but the the data is just not there. So I think in terms of navigating the ethics and the transparency of the cannabis genetic testing market, you really want to make sure that what the claims are in the test are really validated by the research. And there are some companies out there that do a pretty good job of that. And there's some that unfortunately don't. And it's hard because there's very few people that are educated and able to take a look at the studies that are being referenced in those tests and know whether they're really you know, telling the truth about how they can use that data to accurately predict, say, strains. So I would tell anyone to be, you know, somewhat cautious of strain predictor type tests, but other ones that, you know, give you a clear understanding of, hey, this is where we're getting this information from. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're being transparent about what can be known. Uh, go with those. Just as we discussed a couple of minutes ago, anybody who is going to predict that a strain or a cultivar can do one thing or another is probably overpromising things. Yeah, and and I don't think that it's a it's a bad idea to take that into consideration, but in terms of relying on it as an absolute truth, you know, you really it, it all comes down eventually to a personal experimentation and validation. So, I would say any test you're taking, use it as a resource and Try to work with someone who can help you understand what the test is really saying, which, I, again, I think is an important component of this. Because when we look at the larger genetic testing landscape for things like nutrition, the tests that really work well for people are ones where they're being coached and being shown how the data applies to them rather than just being expected to, hey, you know, interpret this test like. How are you really going to do that without having a good basis in genetics? So, you know, try and find, um, you know, someone that can help you understand the, the test is what I would say. You know, you mentioned ethics, and that always seems to rear its head in discussions of genetics. And I, I don't know your perspective, but I think you need to be aware of absolutes, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of other factors usually to be considered in, in any discussion of genetics. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's part of, I think, the value of you know, talking with someone and, and working with someone from the perspective of how do you really use this data well, right? Because it, it doesn't give you absolutes. It gives you probabilities, gives you possibilities. And then how your genes are expressing themselves is an important thing to take into consideration. That's the, you know, health status and set and setting and all that we were talking about before. So yeah, you don't want to get hung up on absolutes and the genetic essentialist idea, which really, when you look at the research, is not a really valid way to interpret this stuff. So, what we what we you know do is say, hey, you have the probabilities for this to show up, and here's some ways that you can modify or influence those probabilities. And that's really the way to use genetic testing in a ethical, actionable way, where you're saying, you know, hey, here's here's likelihoods, and here's what can influence those likelihoods. 
And as I've mentioned with doctors I've had on the show, it's a nice dynamic, rather than just going to the doctor and saying, you know, what's wrong with me, doc, and I'll take whatever you give me. When you're concerned with your wellness and you're looking at cannabis, you seem to be more involved. And it's nothing is your destiny. There are always outliers. There's always your frame of reference that you bring to it. But cannabis itself can help you be more aware of your wellness. And uh, it does take some testing and learning along the way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I see cannabis as part of a healthy regimen for certain people, right? You know, it's the way I work with clients is, you know, most of my coaching clients, cannabis is not the only thing we're focusing on. We're we're talking about supplements and herbs and diet and exercise and all of the other things that go into a healthy lifestyle. And cannabis can certainly be a piece of that. But I think in terms of looking at this from a broader perspective, you know, thinking about how cannabis and cannabinoids might fit into that rather than relying on it as the only piece, I think is really important too in terms of the larger conversation and how we can integrate um, cannabinoids into a healthy lifestyle and, and wellness oriented focus. Do you consider disease states at all and cannabis's potential as a preventative? There's research out of Israel about Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's. And now that we know about the endocannabinoid system and that there can be deficiencies, and you mentioned seeing it as part of a daily regimen, do you know if people are taking it as sort of a preventative vitamin or is that something you would recommend or consider? I think it depends on the person, especially, you know, I would probably steer most people away unless there's a real good reason in terms of managing a health condition from using THC every day. But for CBD, I think there's a lot lower potential, uh, a lot higher likelihood where that's going to be a more naturally balancing kind of agent in the body. Um, you know, what, in terms of my personal work, I'm not so focused on say, targeting and preventing a specific disease state like that. But I think that when you focus on kind of a whole system's perspective on health, when you focus on how can I feel good, have my lab values, you know, in the optimal range, how can I put myself in a condition right now where I'm, you know, really at a state of peak optimal health, that in and of itself contributes to preventative and um, preventative situ- preventative care in the long run, right? So it's not that I'm I'm not focused on long term outcomes. It's more that I'm focused on longevity and health span from a general sense of what can we learn about your body right now that we can balance. What can we do right now that will contribute to that? And yeah, for certain people, I think especially CBD can be a really potent agent in providing that. Yeah, you have that mindset and you're listening to your body and uh, responding in kind. So that makes sense. Oh, I was going to say, I really like the way you you phrased it, though, before about just, yeah, cannabis can help you become more aware of what's going on in your body. And I'll say that I think that's one of the big components of wellness that allows you to to really move to the next horizon of what's possible for your health because if you're you're not aware of you know how you feel and and what's going on for you it's very hard to change it in a meaningful way but when you're more tuned in and you can look at things from a different perspective like you know THC does really well and acts as a perspective shifter right um, sometimes you can 
pick up on an internal dynamics in your body and the way things feel that allows you to be more sensitive and, and sensitized to you know your moods and your energy levels and all of that and so just that alone i think can be a tremendous benefit and value from having a, a healthy relationship with cannabis well, and when you look at clearing out your medicine cabinet, people who need a serious painkiller, cannabis is safe and effective. Or, or people who are suffering from PTSD or, or anxiety, the right cultivar can help with anxiety, But and, and the same for PTSD, I'm sure. But from a harm reduction standpoint, we could be talking about a lot fewer opioids going into people, and that's a good thing too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the potential for it as a pain management tool for people that need it is very strong. And uh, yeah, I think the more people that can be off of long-term opioid use, the better. Is there anything we haven't covered that we should? I don't think so. I think we, we touched on um, pretty much everything there. That was a that was a fun conversation. Yeah, we kind of rambled around, but I know a lot of it was super interesting to me and I think our listeners will like it too. So where can we find you online? So you can find me online at david-krantz.com, david-k-r-a-n-t-z.com. And if anyone's interested in learning more about running a test or uh, working with me in a health coaching capacity, you can shoot me a message there. You can book a free 30-minute consultation where we go over you know, some different options, see if I can help you and if we're a good fit to work together. And for anyone that's interested, that's listening as a practitioner that wants more information on the practitioner training, you can go to cannadna.education, C-A-N-N-A-D-N-A.education. And you can sign up for the email list and get information about the upcoming trainings and uh, resources that we have available. And I also do have some additional articles and um, resources on my website too. So um, lots of free information out there and then opportunities to train further if you're, you're interested in that. Great. I know we're going to hear a lot more about this as, as it becomes more widespread, but thank you for sharing this with our audience and thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to share and always really just appreciate the opportunity to spread this information to whoever can benefit from it. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.